0: Okay, is everyone ready uh, to do our next session? Our weekend conference is on the subject of understanding who the Bride of Messiah is and what it means to be the Bride of Messiah. In the context of that the biblical marriage has two primary parts. The first stage is when you are betrothed, which means you are legally married to, but you do not physically dwell with. And the second stage of the marriage is when you physically dwell with your spouse. And so the second stage of the marriage, spiritually, is likened unto spiritual maturity. Betrothal is likened unto being a babe or a child. And so once... We receive Yeshua as our Savior. We are still a child, a babe in His kingdom. And then we set out the process to grow, to learn His Word, to learn His ways. We begin to practice in our lives. And as we begin to practice and do, we grow and we learn more of Him and His ways and His kingdom. And the goal is to grow to be spiritually mature and we as his followers are called to be as our teacher, as Yeshua. Because one of the meanings of Christian, it means a follower of Christ. Well, you can't follow Christ unless you learn of him and, and realize that he is our example. And so this is what we're studying And uh, we're learning more what it means to be spiritually mature. And one measurement of spiritual maturity is that we will exemplify the fruit of the spirit. Spiritual maturity is endeavoring and seeking to do the will of God in your life. When you seek to do the will of God, you are in the process, if it conflicts with what you want to do, that you do His will over your will. And so everything about doing the will of God is for the benefit of His kingdom, and it is all about loving Him, loving others. And so now continuing in our teaching, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it explains that we're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2:8 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 28 therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the merits of the Torah without the merits of of finding favor based upon what you have done. Your own righteousness. Romans chapter 3 verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles. Seeing it is one God that would justify the circumcision. Now the word circumcision there is a word that refers to being Jewish shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. There the word uncircumcision refers to non-Jews. So whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish both come to Messiah, must repent of their sins and are saved by grace through faith. And so Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and Romans chapter 3 verses 28 through 30. In essence both Jew and non-Jew are saved by grace through faith. He then asks this question. Romans chapter 3 verse 31. Do we then make void? Make void means to do away with. Do we make void the Torah through faith? Now that question that Paul asks is actually a major Issue regarding Christianity's teachings of Paul and interpreting Paul's teachings. And they asked that question themselves regarding Paul and Paul's teaching. And so if you ask them, did Paul teach that you do away with following the Torah because you're saved by grace through faith, they will say yes. That's what Paul taught. Well, Paul asked the question, now he answers it. Now if he, did, if he did not answer the question, there could be some element of doubt. But he answers this same question, and he says, Now this is very Jewish. You know, the Jewish is oy vey. God forbid. God forbid we establish the Torah. Now, is there any way that you can misinterpret we establish the Torah? Well, when I was staying at one of my post house here in the last several days, they had on the bookshelf commentaries on the Bible, commentaries on the book of Romans. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what the commentary says about Romans 3.31. It was commentaries by John Calvin. And so in Romans chapter 3.31, he lists the verse right there. And then in his two-paragraph commentary, he says, so so therefore from this, you know, we're not supposed to follow the law. (laughs) I mean, it explicitly says we establish the Torah, and his interpretation of we establish the Torah is we're not supposed to follow the Torah. Because what he was thinking was, well, let's see, that verse is not what I believe about Paul and what I interpret what Paul said in other places. And what he said in other places is really the teaching. So this has to, this cannot mean what I interpret the other things to mean. So this really doesn't mean what it says. It means how I interpret the other things. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, um, he says we establish the Torah. Why do you establish the Torah? Very simply. It says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, whoever commits sin transgresses the Torah. Sin is the transgression of the Torah. If we don't establish the Torah, if we don't follow the Torah, then we sin. Sin is the transgression of the Torah. And then Paul said, at the end of Romans chapter 4, verse 15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. You know, that's not rocket science. That's just understanding the definition of sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. There is no law, there is no transgression. You know, um, even in this country, they can't arrest you for something that there isn't a law. uh, Regarding um, what you did, they can't take you into jail for doing something that is not something that isn't in the law that you've broken, there has to be a law that you've broken in order to make you, in order to accuse you of breaking something, it's just pretty simple, it's not complicated, and so Paul said, Romans chapter 5, he says, sin is not imputed, that means counted against you, when there is no law. So in traditional Christianity, it's called the Doctrine of dispensationalism. They said, before Yeshua died on the tree is the age of law. Now, they make that age of law a box. Box. Age of law. And after Yeshua died on the tree is the age of grace. Now, they make that a box. And they say, this box, this age of grace box, don't touch it with the age of law box. The, the, The boxes aren't to touch. And so they say, because we're in the Age of grace, we're not to follow the Torah because it's been nailed to the cross. Well, if we're not to follow the Torah and sin is the transgression of the Torah. If there is no Torah in this age, if it's if it's not present, if it's another age, but it's not a part of this age, then I can't transgress the Torah. There has to be a Torah for me to transgress. And so, if sin is the transgression of the Torah, and if what they say, that the Torah is not a part of this age, then it's not possible to sin. And it says in uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So taking the definition that the wages of sin is death, and what they say, that there is no Torah in this age, so then according to the definition of sin, there can't be any sin. And if there's no sin, then there's no death. So my logical conclusion is nobody on earth has ever died since Yeshua died on the tree. Because no one has ever sinned. And you got to sin in order to die. And there's no Torah to sin against. Because he died to the tree. Um, you see how ridiculous
1: mm-hmm. the
0: thought is? But we all, in, in the church, we all buy it. Mm-hmm. Because when the blind lead the blind, they both end up in the ditch. (laughs) Romans chapter 10, verse 4. This is one of the verses they like to quote. They say, see? He nailed the Torah to the cross. um, And this is how it's translated into King James. For Messiah is the end of the Torah. See, see, he's the end of the Torah. He did away with the Torah. All right, well, the word that's translated is end... This is Strong's number 5056. It's Telos. And and explaining to you what Telos is, uh, this is from the Strong's Greek Dictionary, it says it's the definite point or goal. It says it's the aim of something. It's the purpose of something. So Messiah is the goal of the Torah. Messiah is the purpose of the Torah. In other words, um, the aim of the Torah If you follow the Torah, where it leads you to is the Messiah. And if it leads you to the Messiah, it leads you to following the Messiah. So that means if you're truly following the Torah, you will believe in the Messiah, and you'll follow the Messiah. And that's what Yeshua said. Yeshua said that the Torah speaks of Him. In John chapter five, verses forty-six and forty-seven, He's having a conversation with the Jews, and they said, um, "We believe in following the Torah." But they didn't believe in him. And so he says, well, um, if you believe the Torah, you would believe in me. Because the Torah is written of me. And so, if I've got an arrow and a bow, and I'm trying to hit a target, I'm trying to actually hit the bullseye of the target, and if I shoot my arrow, and the arrow travels, and it hits the target, and it hits the bullseye. How do I explain what the arrow did when it hit the bullseye? Could I say that the arrow reached its end? Well, I could, because it stopped. But really, what I did with the arrow is I had a goal or an aim or a purpose by which I was shooting it. And when it hit the bullseye, it hit the aim or the purpose. I don't <laughs> say it ended. It, it was done away with. It, it, it accomplished its objective. And so this is really the meaning of the Greek word. Messiah is the objective, the goal of the Torah. For righteousness. Righteousness. Messiah is the goal of Torah righteousness for everyone that believes. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He that says he abides in him, he that says he's a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, ought himself to walk, even as, even as he walked. Well, if you've got a Hebraic mind, the word walk is speaking of the Torah Because in the Jewish community, when they refer to how they follow the Torah, they call it halakha. Halakha comes from the Hebrew word halak, which means to walk. Walk, follow the Torah, as he walked. But you know what they say? Well, he kept the Torah, so I don't have to. That's not walking as he walked. That's not him being an example. And so... um, One of the last times I was here in England, I got to speak in London. And I was speaking at a really small, new church, 10, 15 people. And uh, there was a little girl sitting up front. She was about three or four years old. And I asked her to come up and and to stand behind me. And she did. And I asked her to do the following I said, Now stand right here behind me. And she did. And I said, Now. I want you to do what I do, okay? I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. So, what I did was, I went like this. And you know what she did? She went like this. A three year old understood what it meant to follow someone. Do you know who doesn't understand what it means to follow? Someone who's graduated in a college with a theological degree in religion and then they call themselves a pastor. And they say, um, I'm a follower of Messiah, but he kept Passover and I don't. I'm a follower of Messiah, he kept Passover and I don't. I mean, someone that's gone to college learns from an adult what it means to follow, and they've convinced him that follow means to do the opposite of. Go before a judge and try to convince a judge that follow means to do the opposite of and see what ruling the judge gets. the the judge gives you. I mean, so somehow we think I'm a follower of Messiah now. But then I don't do what he does. He that abides in him ought to walk as he walked. So if we're going to walk as Yeshua walked, how did he walk? Yeshua kept the Sabbath. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was. What does it mean, as his custom? It means he did it on a regular basis. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Yeshua kept Passover. Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he said to them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Yeshua is our Passover lamb. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For even Messiah, our Passover is sacrificed for us. So, Paul's goal is to walk as Yeshua walked. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be followers of me, even as I follow the Messiah. So, he's following the Messiah, so he's only telling people to follow him because he's following the Messiah. So, Paul kept the written Torah. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. Paul answered, But this I confess unto you. So worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the Torah. So he followed the written Torah, and Paul kept the Sabbath. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Then came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, look, as his custom was. See, it was Yeshua's custom. It's Paul's custom to do what? Go in under them in three Sabbath days, reason with them out of the scriptures. So it was his custom to keep the Sabbath. Paul kept Pentecost. Acts chapter 20, verse 16. For Paul had determined to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Why? Paul is walking as Yeshua walked. He kept Sabbath, he kept Passover, and so Yeshua. Yeshua did this, Paul does this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes, as you have therefore received Messiah, Yeshua the Lord, as you've received Him, walk in Him. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals that Yeshua is the Messiah. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. No one can say that Yeshua is Yahweh, but by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul kept the written Torah by the Holy Spirit. Because it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will put my spirit within you. What's the result? I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes to keep my judgments and do them. And so Paul sees he's to follow the written Torah by the Spirit of God. And so he says, Romans seven twenty two, I delight. Not I do away with, I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man. And so loving the God of Israel is following his Torah. First John chapter five, verse two by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. That's loving God. That's the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. In other words, they're not hard. They're not something that opposes you. But yet, Christians and Christianity says... um, regarding the interpretation of Paul's writings, don't keep the Torah because it's bondage. Well, he Mm -hmm. says his commandments are not. Mm -hmm. grievous. So Yeshua said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. When he said the words, if you love me, keep my commandments, he was making a reference to Exodus chapter 20, the chapter on the giving of the Ten Commandments, where... The one that gave the Ten Commandments says that he shows mercy unto thousands of them that yeah. love me and keep my commandments. So when Yeshua said, Love me, keep my commandments, in the mind of somebody that knew the Torah, that knew the scriptures, he was referring them back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. The context of Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, is following the Torah. And the one that said those words is the one that gave the Torah. So when Yeshua said, If you love me, keep my commandments, by reference, he was saying that he gave the Torah and you love him by following his Torah. In Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22, it says, The Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. That verse makes four claims of the Lord. One of them is He saves us. Does Yeshua save us? Matthew in chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And you will call His name Yeshua, for He will save His people from their sins. So He saves us. Is He our King? It says in Revelation 19, verse 16, He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And... John chapter 1, verse 49. Nathanael said to Yeshua, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Is he our judge? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah. And so the one that saves us, who is judging us, who is also our King, is also our lawgiver. Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. So, James says in James chapter 4, verse 12, there's one lawgiver who is able to save. The one that saves is also the lawgiver. Yeshua gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, that's why he can say, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, once again, how does the bride please her bridegroom and keep his commandments? Well, she's to follow His written instructions that is to be upon her heart, put there by the Holy Spirit. She's to follow His written Torah with the help of His Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. We are to dedicate our lives, that means... To do the will of God for our lives. We're to dedicate our lives to the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now if I take that back to the Torah. What would be a living sacrifice? It would be a burnt offering. A burnt offering is an offering that was completely given. It was wholly burnt. And that's what our lives are supposed to be. We're completely give our lives for the service of the kingdom and to do Yeshua's will. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. So um, we are not only the servants of Yeshua whenever we repent our sins and make Him Savior and Lord of our lives, but then we're called to be laborers, servants of His and of His kingdom. First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine: For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. You see, um, God doesn't need you, but He prefers to have a partner to work with to accomplish His. His will, His tests. He desires to have a partner. He doesn't need you, but He desires to have a partner to do His will. So our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 3.16 Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So does it honor the temple of God or desecrate the temple of God to, to sacrifice a pig in the temple of God? Well, that was regarded as an abomination um, when Antiochus Epiphanes did that. So if we're the temple of God, you know, Christians say, well, no, we're the temple of God. Then why are you putting pig yes. in your altar? That's not an acceptable offering to bring to the altar, to the temple. First Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God and you are not your own? You are bought with a price. You see, uh, many Christians don't have the perspective that they've been bought. They have been told they understand that they can have forgiveness of their sins and through Yeshua shed blood and accepting His work, they get the forgiveness of their sins, but they don't have in their minds that He's bought you. He bought you by His blood and it costed His life. You're bought with a price. Therefore, our responsibility back to Him is to glorify Him in our body. And in our spirit, which are God's. So we're going to serve in His kingdom for the purpose of giving Him glory. Remember what Yeshua said? I have glorified you in the earth, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. So the outcome of doing His will is two things you're going to bring glory to the kingdom. And the Father is going to honor you. You will get to be glorified as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. That according as it is written, He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And for being aware of this calling, um, for those of you who have listened to some of my teachings, uh, especially when I do conferences and seminars, I try to end my messages by saying, if you've been blessed, give all glory to whom it's due, and that's Yeshua Messiah, because that's the instruction. Give him the glory. And so Matthew in chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So actually, if you seek the kingdom, then your needs will be provided for. But you know, that doesn't always make logical sense. Because if you seek the kingdom, sometimes you're giving out. And in the logical mind, if you're giving out, then you're lacking in getting back. And so, um, but God's kingdom doesn't work according to natural law and natural logic. His kingdom is governed by his word and his faithfulness to keep his word. So the disciple of Yeshua will make following Yeshua and his kingdom his primary goal. Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. And so... Him and His kingdom is number one. And those things that are holding you back, you know, uh, gonna take up your cross and follow Him. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all, that means, Um, If you don't make him number one in his kingdom and living your life for him, number one, he cannot be my disciple. You see, what I'm showing to you is what Paul called the high calling. And you see what church teaches is the low calling. Believe in him and he's done it all. Love, grace, do what you want. It's all covered. And it'll all be good in the end. And so, church teaches the low calling Why? because it attracts the most people. That's what people want to hear. But this is really what the scripture says: is what Yeshua calls in desires of those who want to follow after Him. The cares of this world causes a disciple of Yeshua to be unfruitful. Mark chapter four, verse fourteen. The sower sows the word. Verse 18. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And so, um, he doesn't say that you're prohibited from being blessed Um, it's just that if the pursuit of many barns um, takes away from your commitment to the kingdom if it interferes and you're putting the wrong priorities um, then you need to reevaluate things but there's a certain element of need that we have in this life And, you know, let's face it, in order to do kingdom work, don't we need resources? So the resources have to come from somewhere. Somebody has to get the resources. So he has to to have somebody work and endeavor to have the resources so the resources can be made available. So the resources aren't the problem. It's just if you have and you're given resources... And you spend your whole life and you want 50,000 barns instead of one barn. Or instead of two barns or three barns. In other words, overindulgence is what I'm trying to say. It's not having, it's overindulgence and wrong priority. A disciple of Yeshua will bear fruit for his kingdom. John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. They say, here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So it's based upon this principle that I often, when I start out, particularly in my first session uh, that I might have at a seminar, or a conference, knowing that without Him I can do nothing, I say, well, it's a privilege and it's a joy and it's an honor that Yeshua the Messiah has given me to be able to be here with you today because without Him I would not be here. He's the one that opens the door. He's the one that provides the way. And so we thank the vine. For the blessing of those that abide in the vine. And he says. Here is my father glorified. That you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. John chapter 10 verse 10. Yeshua said. I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. The word life. Is the Strong's number 2222 in the Strong's Greek Dictionary, it's the Hebrew word Zoe. And what Zoe means, it means the best that life has to offer. The Greek word Zoe. It means, what did I say? Hebrew. Thank you. Because I wouldn't have known that I said it unless I watched the tape. So sometimes I think and I say something else. All right, so the Greek word Zoe Means the best that life has to offer. It means the top of the mountain. It means the zenith. And so it's rendered this way. And have it more abundantly. And have it more abundantly. Well, that's the definition of zoe. And so Yeshua came that you would have the best that life has to offer. Understanding that this is the meaning and the definition of the word in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I might have eternal life? Now, in traditional Christianity, when they read this verse, how do they render what the question is being asked in their mind? How do they frame their thought of the meaning of the question? They think he's asking, what do I need to do to get saved? So now they're going to interpret what happens through He was asking, what do I need to do to get saved? Because they interpret eternal life as being saved. And so what he's asking is, what do I need to do to have the best of life that you have to offer for me? What's required of me? That's what he's asking. And so Yeshua says in Matthew 19:17, If you will enter into Zoe, if you want to have the best of life that I have for you, here's what it entails. Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments will cause you to be on a path to have the best of life that I have for you. So he said to him, okay, now which ones? Yeshua said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he was given commandments about how we treat one another. Which Yeshua also said that loving your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. So if you want to have the best of life that Yeshua has for you, it's following the Torah, keeping his commandments, and... The high form of that is all about how you treat one another, how you conduct your life, uh, whether you do what is right and refrain from doing what is wrong, and that you treat others properly. You don't try to manipulate them. Uh, You don't try to be deceitful. You don't try to use them. That you are treating them according to what's best for them. You love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And so Yeshua was asked, what is the great commandment in the Torah? And he says, number one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He said, this is the first or this is the greatest commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So given that he was asked, what do I need to do to have the best of life that you have to offer me? Yeshua says it begins by keeping the commandments. Okay, which ones? Well, um, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's feeling pretty confident about this. Uh, particularly how he treats other people. He says, all these things I've kept from my youth. Is there anything lacking? Have I fulfilled what you're asking for me to get the best of life that you have to offer? And Yeshua said, if you will be perfect, you see the word? Mm -hmm. Teleos. If you want to be spiritually mature, go and sell that you have and come and follow me. What does it mean to go and sell that you have? What it means is, Whatever is holding you back from a full and total commitment, get rid of what is keeping you from a full and total commitment. You know, it could be you watch too much television. Maybe you spend hours and hours and hours and hours watching television and five minutes reading the Bible. So, now... You need to sell it. It doesn't mean that everything you own in your life that you gotta sell. That means whatever's holding you back from giving him your all, and whatever's taken from your total commitment, then get rid of that thing that is holding you back from a total commitment. So now in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, Yeshua said, Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. And few there be that find it. So before it says um, narrow is the way. It says wide is the way that leads to destruction. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. So how are these two verses traditionally interpreted in Christianity? What is the broad way? They say well the broad way is being an unbeliever. Well, they say, what's the narrow way? Well, that's being a believer. No, it says, narrow is the way which leads to the best of life that I have for you. And few find what? Few find the best of life that I have for you. Because he's telling you what comes with the best of life that I have for you, and it's the word narrow. Well, the word narrow is the Strong's number 2346. It's the Greek word thlebo. And you see what philebo means? It means to suffer tribulation, to trouble, to afflict, to bring distress. So, of the ten places where that word is found in the New Testament, this is the only verse that it's translated as narrow. It doesn't mean narrow. It means to, su- it means to suffer tribulation. So what he's saying is to suffer trials, tribulations, and persecutions is the way in which you get the best of life that I have to offer you if you find it. Why did you find it? Because the flesh doesn't like trials, tribulations, and persecutions. The flesh doesn't like the fellowship of his sufferings. But if you're going to be raised to glory, you can't be raised to glory unless you first have the fellowship of his sufferings. So, Those who forsake all of this world for Yeshua will rule over all in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 and 28. Then answered Peter and said, We have forsaken all and followed you. See, the rich young ruler wasn't willing to forsake all and follow. And Peter says, We have done that. Okay, what about us? Yeshua said, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, for those who have made a total commitment to him and forsaking the things that have held them back, even though they're doing good things, um, what is That reward, given that you're going to experience trials, tribulations, and persecutions, well, you get to rule and reign with him. You get to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. How long do you get to rule and reign with him in his kingdom? Forever. Matthew 19 29. And everyone that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands. Now, once again, in context, forsaken. If these things are holding you back to give you full commitment, not that it's wrong to have them. For my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit the best of life that I have for him. Mm -hmm. Notice, the best of life is an inheritance. It's a reward for your service to him and to his kingdom. And so, um, that is going to uh, conclude this teaching. And so, um, what we have covered in this teaching is that when you become a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, you are regarded as a spiritual babe. And you're called to grow and come to the place of spiritual maturity. And the process by which you grow is you study and you learn and you practice His Word. You practice His Torah. And by learning it, living it, and experiencing it, you not only grow in it, in the knowledge of it, but by practicing it and living it, He shows you that He is real and His Word is true. And then as you grow in spiritual maturity, you will leave the things of carnality. You will will leave the things of the flesh. And the higher you grow in spirituality, the more your flesh is going to die. And ultimately, you're called to crucify your flesh and walk in the spirit because if you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh when you walk in the spirit the evidence that you are walking in the spirit is you will manifest the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness long suffering etc and then Since you're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, you're walking in love, what's the characteristic of love? How do you know that you're walking in love? Well, love gives. Love serves. Love lays down your life. And you are called to give a full and total commitment to Yeshua, to His kingdom, for the benefit of His kingdom for the glory of his kingdom. So we're to dedicate our lives to do his will. And then in doing his will, we are going to lay down our lives. We're going to love others, serve others, give to others, and We, as being bondservants of Yeshua, we're going to be living our lives for the kingdom and for the fruit of the kingdom. And it's going to be at the expense of our own self-interest, the desires of the flesh. Because ultimately what He wants for us is he wants his very best. And his very best comes with a complete and total commitment to to him and his kingdom. That total commitment is going to come with trials, tribulations, and persecutions. The purpose of the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions is this is the means of by which the flesh dies and through your trials, tribulations and persecutions it causes you to rely more and more and and exemplify more and more trust and faith in Him and, and in His provisions and so ultimately then by being faithful in your service to Him at the mature level you're going to get his best reward, and that is to rule and reign with him in his kingdom, to teach his Torah to others, and you're going to then get the reward of being his bride who is going to live and dwell with him forever in the new Jerusalem. So that is his best prize, ruling and reigning with him and living in his presence forever in the new Jerusalem. And so um, even though in this world there will be challenges, um, but ultimately the challenges that we experience, um, they will seem like small things, temporary things compared to the eternal reward that we have in His kingdom. So, Yeshua is calling all of us to be His bride. Meaning, the one that will enter into the second stage of the marriage and dwell with Him. It's my prayer, just as it was Paul's prayer for those that he was teaching and instructing. He knew that not only did he strive To be the bride of Messiah. But he was encouraging and instructing. Those who he was teaching. For them to be the bride of Messiah as well. So it's my prayer my desire. That I can live my life in such a way. That I can be the bride of Messiah. But I haven't fully lived my life yet. I'm still striving. Just like Paul. And it's my prayer that everyone here will be the bride of Messiah as well. And so um, I pray that you will make that commitment to him that such will be the case so we can enjoy being able to spend eternity with him in the New Jerusalem in his presence. And so that's what it's all about. And I pray that this has encouraged you uh, to make that commitment. So all of us will be his bride and we will all spend eternity with him in the new Jerusalem. So I pray the message has been a blessing to you. And this conference has been a blessing to you. Now, I know from the feedback that you've been giving me yesterday and today, it has in a very large and deep way. And so if you've been blessed, uh, we should give the blessing and honor to whom it's due. And that is Yeshua the Messiah. He's the one that's made it all possible. It's for His kingdom and the glory of His kingdom that we meet and gather. And so therefore, my prayer and my desire... Um, is that He and He alone deserves all of our praise, glory, and honor. He be given it and that what we have done here since we're doing it for His kingdom and the benefit of His kingdom, I'm asking the Lord God of Israel that He will take what has happened this weekend and He will seal it and what He purposed and planned for it from the beginning of the creation of the world, He will accomplish, not only in what happened yesterday and today, but now we take this word, it's in our hearts, so we carry it with us for our entire lives. And everyone that we interact with, anyone that we affect as we live our lives, um, the effect of this weekend carries with us throughout our whole lives, and then we touch others' lives, and they they touch other lives. And so um, the impact and the effect of this weekend is so multiplied Um, And so I pray that this will fully uh, be accomplished. I'm asking the Lord God of Israel to not allow this word that has been sown for the enemy to to take it, steal it, destroy it, and to corrupt it. But everything that this weekend he purposed and planned to do will be accomplished to bear fruit for him and his kingdom and to bring glory to him in His Kingdom, yes. Shalom, and be blessed in the Shure of Messiah, Amen. Amen. Amen.
2: Okay, um, that's the end of the teaching, but we just want to allow a short amount of time for questions. And I, I wanted to I've got questions I wanted to ask. Um, so, uh, if there's anything you want, I, I'd like to sort of. Just a little direction on it. If you could try and keep it to around about the subject, anything that um, Eddie may have touched on. Uh, um, you can ask him about his basketball team afterwards. I know <laughs> who he supports, but that's a different story. Um, but if you wanted to just, if uh, anybody got any pressing questions that you felt weren't quite dealt with, but I'm, I mean, Eddie's been that thorough, probably, um, probably shouldn't come into that. But if, has anybody got any questions they would like to ask?
3: Yeah, just got a quick one. Uh... My missus hasn't actually quite yet crossed over, but she's got her toes in the water, so to speak. A uh, question came up. Uh, I'm quite new to this, so I haven't really formulated possibly the correctest answers. Uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Right. Yesterday we studied why Messiah came to die in place of... Uh, the sins of his bride, Israel. How would be the best way to answer her question? Because what she was saying was, yeah, Jesus died, uh, Yeshua died for Israel, but he also died for the world, which he did. But I was just trying to put it in context. What would be your
1: question?
3: Pardon? What would be your question? Well, uh, um, the question is, um, the way my wife sees it is, well, Yeshua died for the world, John 3.16. My answer to her was, yeah, he died for the world, but if it wasn't for Israel being the bride, it wouldn't have
0: happened. Would that be kind of right? Yes. um, He said, I've not come up for the lost sheep, of the house of Israel. So he's in covenant with the house of Jacob, or back to the covenant he made with, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai, he entered into a marriage agreement that was broken. And so he's coming to uh, restore the relationship. So he's primarily dealing with the house of Jacob, his bride, primarily dealing with the nation of Israel. now the God of Israel in the Torah says he's not a respecter of persons. So while he's primarily targeting the house of Jacob, And he's concerned about the covenant relationship that he has and and wants to maintain um, with his people that um, as a benefit for what he's doing and him being faithful to keep his covenant, uh, and he's not a respecter of persons, he makes the terms of the covenant available to all people. And so that's why, while he's primarily interacting on behalf of the covenant he made with the house of Jacob, he he gives the benefit of it to the entire world if they will accept the terms and the conditions, which is what? Repent of your sins and accept Yeshua as your Savior and as your Lord. And so in the Torah... Um, Even though he's redeeming his people out of Egypt on behalf of the covenant that was made with Abraham where he said your children are going to go into a land that's not theirs and then later I will bring them out. So he's acting on behalf of his covenant with Abraham but when he acted on behalf of his covenant with Abraham those families native to Egypt, who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they were able to get the blessing and the benefit of the redemption that's happening on behalf of the covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's the same thing he's doing in the New Covenant. It's primarily um, to renew the relationship with the house of Jacob, but the whole world gets the benefit of it. Now, if that's not explained, as I've just mentioned it, then that's not going to be the perception and the understanding and you're going to come um, and understand things through the other angle, and you're primarily going to be thinking for the whole world. That was a secondary benefit. The primary benefit was to, and on behalf of his covenant. And so, his goal was the whole world, but the way in which he was going to reach the whole world was through his covenant relationship with his people. Yeah. Anyone
3: else? Yes. Mm. sir. Um, got a question. Um, if I could read a scripture. Yeah. Um, Hebrews 7. Yeah? Yeah. It says, Who is made after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before or the weakness and unprofitable unprofitableness thereof for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope, did by which we draw nigh unto God. Two questions it talks about for very there is a disannulling of the commandments. Can you explain that to
0: me, sir? Well, when I talk about the book of Hebrews, so those verses are in the context of this whole subject matter, the book yeah. of Hebrews. Okay, the book of Hebrews is. Um, Comparing and contrasting Yeshua being the eternal Melchizedek priest with the function and the role of the Levitical priesthood. So after the sin of the golden calf is when we have the institution of the Levitical priesthood. And so what isn't so explicitly said is that beginning with Adam... Adam was operating as a Melchizedek priest in the higher order priesthood of the kingdom of God is the Melchizedek priesthood. And so from um, Adam to Jacob, there were 12 Melchizedek priests that were the overseers of the kingdom of God um, in the earth. And so... Uh, this was the, the priesthood that is supposed to govern God's kingdom, and so while they were Melchizedek priests, Adam and it says uh, about Noah, uh, he's the eighth and in Second Peter. He was the eighth Melchizedek priest. All right. So even though we had Melchizedek priests, the first part of the Book of Hebrews um, states in chapters one and two. That Yeshua isn't just any ordinary Melchizedek priest. He's unique as a Melchizedek priest. And it lists his qualifications. Um, you know. He's the Messiah. And, and you know all the things that make him unique. So that's the first thing. The point it makes. Is that he's not any Melchizedek priest. And almost in every chapter in Hebrews it says. He's a priest. Uh, he's a He's the high priest. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, emphasizing this. Now, um, if you now, uh, you've heard me teach on this word perfect, spiritual maturity, um, six or seven times in the book of Hebrews. And I believe you read a verse there to me that used the word perfection. All right. So. The, the point that was being made, unless you have understand this concept that I just went over with you today, um, the point that's made over and over, six or seven times in the book of Hebrews, is the Levitical priesthood and its function and its operation could not bring the, the individual believer to a place of spiritual maturity. Alright? And so, what he says is Yeshua's Melchizedek priesthood in the New Covenant is able to bring a person to spiritual maturity so not understanding what the issue is um, we jump in there and and we read it we meaning traditional Christianity Uh, we read it like it's a debate about whether you should follow the law or not and it is just explaining a detail of the law and and, and, and what Yeshua did and accomplished and so when you read that word you know, six or seven times. It says perfect, perfection, and it makes a statement that the Levitical priesthood it does not bring the believer there. This is the goal. You saw a full teaching on it, and then it makes a statement that Yeshua and who He is and what He has done is able to do that. And so that's the main points that, that those verses are speaking of. Thank you. Excellent
2: answer. Is one more? Yeah. Um, you talked about... Uh, in Matthew 7, verse 14, the broad and the narrow way. Could you just elaborate on
0: the broad? Because I didn't. I... Well, if you see, um, I didn't really elaborate on the broad, <coughs> other than saying it's in contrast to the narrow. And the narrow was spoken of as the narrow is the way that leads to Zoe, the best of life that he has to offer. And so most believers in Yeshua are on the broad. In other words, the, the earthly tabernacle in Hebrews 8.5 was a blueprint of the heavenly tabernacle. And so that means the physical layout of the earthly tabernacle is a prophecy. It's a blueprint of heaven. And so the broad is the outer court. The narrow is the Holy of Holies. And so um, broad is where most people are at. But if you want to go from the outer court into the Holy of Holies, it's, that's a narrow path. That's a narrower road. And so that's what it's speaking about broad meaning most people are going to be believers that are carnal that are babes or children in the faith the few the narrow are going to be the spiritual mature and you know because these criteria that I've gone over let's face it it's not simple it's not easy it the You need the help of his spirit, but it takes an absolute and total full commitment. And most people want a partial commitment, not a full commitment. Any other questions?
2: Okay, thank you. uh, I've asked Pat if he'll lead us in the Aaronic blessing before we finish, but... uh, just to say, um, just remember the, the table over here with the lists and the love uh, the, the offering box before you leave. It's the last opportunity. Thank you so much for coming and uh, being part of this. As we've said several times, the fellowship has been so good as well. There's been so many connections and people either reconnected or connected for the first time. It's been a real special time for us. So Thank you for being a part of that. And uh, We'll keep you informed about any other gatherings and we look forward to seeing you again.
1: Pat, if you could... uh, And thank you
2: for all the people who
4: organised it. So these are not my words. These are Yahweh's words of blessing to each and every one of us. you God